Amen. Well, good morning and thank you for joining us here today. I don't know what you do with your summer Saturdays, but yesterday we were doing a little bit of house cleaning, but we call it decluttering, so it doesn't sound quite so boring, (laughs) which actually sounds kind of boring, but that's what we were working on. And as we were going through the basement, I realized we had this like big stack of these really old things called CDs that still had music on them. I'm like, all right, I probably need to like rip these to MP3, put them somewhere else instead of just like loading my basement with CDs. And then I found something even older. Have you ever seen one of these before? (laughs) This is a cassette tape. (laughs) And I thought, I don't even know how to get the music off of there. But as I was looking at it, this tape is from when I was a little kid. It's called 50 Scripture Songs for Kids. 50 songs they fit on here. This is a double length recording. And so I thought, I wonder how many of those that I would remember. Because I usually fell asleep at night listening to songs as a kid. So I found the one machine left in our house that still played tapes. And I popped the tape in. And you know with these old tapes, like it sounds a little wobbly as the tape starts to go. But it started to take me back. It's like, I remember that song. Oh, I remember that song. And remember when music used to come with paper that told you about the music? Well, one of these songs is called, Did You Ever Talk to God Above? And I wanted to give you, I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll give you a few of the lyrics. Did you ever talk to God above? Tell him that you need a friend to love. Pray in Jesus' name, believing that God answers prayer. Have you told him all your cares and woes? Every tiny little fear he knows. You can know he'll always hear and he will answer prayer. Find the answer in his word. It's true. You'll be strong because he walks with you. By his faithfulness, he'll change you too. God answers prayer. And as I listened to that song yesterday, it was kind of trippy, one, just because of the nostalgia. But two, I realized that as a kid, prayer seems so simple. You hear lyrics like that and it's like, of course, of course God is with me. Of course Jesus loves me. Of course he's my friend. And that's, that's what my parents tell me. And if my parents take me to church, that's what the Sunday school teacher tells me. And so I just believe it. And I, and I talk to God. And I don't know about you, but if your experience is similar to mine, if you, if, you, if you knew that as a kid, if you heard that as a kid, it's like somewhere I lost that along the way because life gets so complicated, so difficult, and the crises that you face even honestly as a teenager, as a young adult, as an adult with kids, as you go through life, are so far beyond anything you probably imagined as a five-year-old falling asleep as the tape is playing on your cassette deck. But the passage that we're going to see today in 2 Kings is really a passage about prayer. And so for the next few chapters of 2 Kings, gone are the chess pieces, and we're moving into a new series that we're calling Royal Habits, where over the next few weeks, we'll see six different spiritual habits. Some of them we're going to learn from good examples of good kings. Some of them we'll learn from bad examples of bad kings, that we can draw something good out of it. Because each of these becomes part of how we grow and how we develop our own relationship with God through these different habits. And so today, we're really focusing in on this idea of prayer. That Jesus is a friend that I can talk to. That God is there, that he hears, that he's listening. And it's a critical moment in the history of 2 Kings for God's people to know that God is listening. 
And so I'd actually encourage you today, if you've got your paper Bible with you, or if you've got, you know, your favorite Bible app, go ahead and open up to 2 Kings chapter 18. We're starting in verse 17 today. And this is a moment where, if you recall, there was the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, but Israel's been taken into captivity by Assyria, violently dragged away because of their disobedience to God. They're gone. And so is the buffer that Judah had to the north. So now Assyria is knocking at the door. And not only that, but as Hezekiah's kingship has gone on, now Assyria has taken over all of the strongholds in his country except Jerusalem. And now he's coming for Jerusalem. And so that's the moment that we're going to see today. And what kind of amazes me about this passage, this event actually appears three different times in the Bible. It is once here in 2 Kings. It appears again in 2 Chronicles and again in the book of Isaiah because he was the prophet alive at this time. So if God writes the same thing down three times, I mean, the book is only this long. If the same thing is in there three times, that tells me I want to pay attention to this. And it's kind of cool because it's, it's written almost like a script. Like you'll hear each of these key speakers, you know, give this big speech And so to help us kind of wrap our minds around that today, we're actually going to do something a little bit different. I've invited some friends to help us with something called a reader's theater. Now, if you've never experienced reader's theater before, it's a little bit different. Our actors are not going to use props or set pieces. Instead, they use their voices, their inflection, their tone, their facial expression to bring out the story and the emotion. And so as they take us through this passage today, I wanted to give you a little bit of a who's who in this passage, because you're going to hear a lot of names and a lot of things happening. So here are kind of the key players. First is the Rab Shakah, which is basically a title for the enemy commander of Assyria. He's going to come to the very walls of Jerusalem and shout his challenge to Hezekiah and the people. We'll also meet Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah. Now, those three are essentially always mentioned together, so you'll hear them as one voice in the script, but those are Hezekiah's most trusted friends and messengers. Then, of course, we'll meet Hezekiah, king of Judah, one of the good kings who's actually faithful to God. And we will even meet Isaiah the prophet, a man who has his own book in the Bible, but who speaks into our passage today. And so you'll see what happens when the enemy challenges God's people and how they respond, because it all begins with the enemy's challenge. Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rebsaris, and the Rabshakeh from Lachish with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the Fuller's Field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, of which if a man leads, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. 
But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now therefore I urge you, Give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses. If you are able on your part to put riders on them, ha, how then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Yes, have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah, said to the Rabakash, said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not uh, to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and spoke, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. The city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me, and buy a present, and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree. And every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die, but do not listen to Hezekiah. No, lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Huh, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand? that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, came to Hezekiah, and with their clothes torn, they told him the words of the Rabshakeh. So let's break this down a little bit. The enemy shows up at the walls of Jerusalem. He's shouting at the people. Eliakim, they, I mean, they ask him, hey, not in Hebrew. Then everyone will hear you. Everyone will understand. They'll be afraid. And the enemy doesn't back down. He says, hey, if we build a siege around them like we've done to every other city, they're going to starve to death until they're eating their own waste too. So guess what? We're saying it in the common language. Right, this is kind of a shocking moment to me because as you listen, you know Assyria is so strong. They've already destroyed every other city. They're at the walls of Jerusalem and he's shouting his threat. And yet, I don't know if you picked up on some of this, 
the enemy thinks he's making an airtight case for why you need to just agree with the king of Assyria. But listen to some of his arguments. Is it not the high places of the Lord that Hezekiah has torn down? Well, is it? No. No, it's actually not. The Lord does not have any high places. In fact, that's part of why the Lord is so pleased with Hezekiah, because he tore down the high places. So right off the bat, the enemy makes a critical blunder. He points to something good, not understanding the difference between the one true God and all of these false idols. All he saw was that they tore down these weird worship things, and he said, well, isn't your God mad at you for tearing down the weird worship things? And Hezekiah's thinking, like, no, those were not his. So if you actually listen to what the enemy says, it's not as convincing as you might think. The other thing that he keeps trying to say is, look at all the other gods we've defeated. Where are the gods of these people and those people and those people and those people? But again, well, those aren't actually gods. Those are made of wood and stone. And part of what I want you to realize is that the speech that the Rob Shakah just gave is the exact kind of language that the enemy has been using forever. Right? The same kind of thing that happened in the Garden of Eden where the enemy comes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say that? I mean, okay, you're right. So he did say that, but is that really what he meant? Don't you think that maybe he's not happy with you? Don't you think that maybe the grass is a little bit greener on the other side of the fence? I mean, think about the next thing that he says, agree with my master, the king of Assyria. You know what we'll do? If you guys will just make an agreement with us, then everyone can live under their own vine, under their own fig tree, with their own cistern. Like, so he's saying, he's saying he'll leave us alone? Until, now, now the truth comes out, until we take you to an even better place, very much like your own, where there's fields of grain. He's talking about captivity. He's trying to promise them that if, if, if you will let us skip the battle, instead of fighting, why don't you just, just let us bring you back to Assyria and put you in chains with a hook through your nose? But of course, the enemy never tells you it's going to hurt like that, right? The enemy always tries to convince you that it's good. I can't tell you how many times, I, I'm thinking of one specific example, I, I can't share all the details, but where friends of ours, a husband and a wife who were really struggling in their marriage and it wasn't like, you know, nobody had cheated or anything. It was like, this, we kind of fell out of love. And the husband was like, you know, I think I have to own 90% of this and I'm willing to go to counseling and I've, I'm apologizing and I know that I've got to work on things. And the wife was like, well, you know, I, I met with my friends and they told me that, that I deserve better. And, and don't you think God would want me to be happy? And so there was this sense in her mind that this human being has issues, but if she could just separate from that human being, she's sure she could find a human being who didn't have issues. <laughs> hey, that person is not out there. And, and it's not just that. I mean, this is why temptation works, right? Because there is this little hint that it is going to feel good for a little while, right? That the grass seems like it's going to be greener. The enemy says, hey, 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 let's not fight. Why not come, come to Assyria? Guys, sin always ends up in captivity. And did you notice how many times the Rob Shakah said, don't listen to Hezekiah? Because Hezekiah was speaking truth. And what did the people do? I love this. They held their peace and answered him not a word. So here's actually one of the first pieces that helps us in prayer. 
don't listen to the enemy. Don't listen. And that's one of those things that sounds so obvious, and yet in my own life and people that I counsel within my own family, when I'm talking to my friends, there are so many places that we get kind of like these automatic negative thoughts that jump into our brains, whether it's a temptation, whether it's a lie, whether it's something to make us distrust God, and we get stuck on it. And I was talking to a friend of mine a few years ago, and what Nate told me was that the way he learned to pray was every thought that came in, he stayed, like, as he was really struggling with some of this stuff, he had to ask himself, does that sound like something that Jesus would say? Like, oh, that's really good. So when I'm feeling like I'm not good enough, when I'm feeling like maybe that thing was too far and God can't forgive me anymore, when I'm feeling like maybe God doesn't listen when I pray, maybe he's not hearing me, maybe people would be better off without me. Does that sound like something that Jesus would say? You're worthless. Now that doesn't sound like Jesus. People would be better off without you. That doesn't sound like Jesus. God is not trustworthy. That does not sound like Jesus. Give in to temptation. It's not that bad. Everybody does it. That doesn't sound like Jesus. <laughs> It's such a clarifying thought just to ask myself as these things come in, does that sound like something that Jesus would say? And then he found that the best way to know what sounds like what Jesus would say, keep reading his words. And not even to spend any energy answering the enemy, not even to argue with it, just say, that's not true, I'm going back to what is. And I love that picture of prayer that comes immediately from the people that the first thing is that they're not spending any energy talking to the enemy. They're not listening to him they don't answer him. Well, so what is Hezekiah going to do? Let's find out. And so it was, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore lift up your prayers for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land." This is one of the ways that you see people really go all out into prayer in the Old Testament. To go into the temple, to tear their clothes, to fall before the Lord. And I don't know about you, I always think this is fun. I, I remember the first time I kind of read through this chronologically and you hit this, these moments where Isaiah shows up. I'm like, Isaiah, I know him. <laughs> I didn't know he was in 2 Kings too. Like, oh, these are real people who are really wrestling through a major crisis. That Hezekiah has never seen anything like this in his life. And I love that one of the things that he does, between him, his messengers, his friends, they come to Isaiah and say, 
would you also pray? Maybe the Lord will hear your prayer. And so that's another encouragement for us as we think about this spiritual habit of prayer. Ask others to pray with you and for you. And look, I know that some of these come across as obvious, but I can't tell you how many times we miss out on this piece. And I I do this too, like sometimes it's like there's something going on in my world and I would love for people to pray and then I think to myself, but they got their own stuff and I don't want to bug people and you know, our group study is only an hour and I don't know if I should take up everybody's time and and we just kind of hold it back. And, And look, I know that everybody doesn't have enough time to pray for everything that everybody could possibly ask for prayer for. But don't let that hold you back from asking others to pray. Don't let that hold you back. I mean, there's so much in Scripture. Jesus tells us that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he is there with them. The New Testament tells us that we are the body of Christ as Christ followers, that we need each other, right? That nobody grows in Christ alone. We need each other. In fact, you go and read through the book of Acts, that's like all the believers are ever doing is they are just praying together and watching the Spirit move. And for Hezekiah, there's something kind of cool about coming to Isaiah because the prophets in the Old Testament, like we regularly hear how, and we'll see in Isaiah later this year, how he's filled with the Spirit. Like he has like a direct line to God. So if you want to ask somebody to pray, let's go talk to Isaiah. I think he has like a special connection. And that is sort of true in the Old Testament on one level. But check this out. If you are a follower of Christ... Even better than Isaiah, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. How would you like to know that somebody who has a direct line to God through the Holy Spirit was praying for you? Then just ask another Christian. Would you pray for me about this? I've hit this crisis in my life. That's what they're doing when they come to Isaiah. That's what Hezekiah and his friends know that they need. And you know, one of the best ways to do that I think there's, there's a lot of these, and so I'm just going to mention a couple. But one of them that I've found is being part of a men's study or a women's study with other Christ followers. You know, somebody that you're regularly getting together with, not just to chit-chat, not just to talk about life, but to get into God's Word together, to hear what God actually says, and to ask each other to be praying. And a great example of this, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the men's studies that I'm a part of, I got a late night text on like a Friday night from one of the guy's wives because uh, he was having a really bad reaction to his cancer treatment. And and typically they had gone relatively smoothly and so this was like kind of shocking and kind of scary. So it was like the text was literally, would you pray and would you get the guys from the group praying? Because these are guys who've been together, who've been sharing things together, who've been sharing requests like, hey, this is what's going on in my world or my friend's world, would you guys pray about it? We've seen God answering prayer. And so I sent an email, I sent a text, I tried to get all the guys praying, and, and then I didn't hear anything else. And so Sunday morning, a bunch of those guys are in here coming to the service, and, and I'm like, hi, how's Mike? <laughs> like, that was the only thing anybody wanted to know. I was like, I don't know, I haven't heard anything. And they're asking each other, they're checking around, they're texting Mike, they're calling, they're talking to his family. And by the time we left that Sunday morning, we had an update. Mike was doing better, the treatment was, was kind of relaxing, and he was back with our group on Thursday morning to just celebrate how God answers prayer. But that was one of those moments that I realized, like, there are people here who love me and care about me and at the drop of a hat would go to God on my behalf. And I want that for you. 
And that's part of why I encourage you from time to time, if you haven't been a part of a group study, I think it's worth checking out. And I don't know about you, but like, before I ever got into men's studies, uh, I resisted them. (laughs) I think I can tell you that. Partly because I figured that we're going to go around the circle and everyone's going to either have to talk about their feelings or confess the worst thing they ever did. And I can't risk it. I'm not ready for that. So let me just tell you, it's one of the things that I love at Horizon. One of the ways that we talk about comfortably connecting to God through the Bible in a community of growing Christ followers is we want that to be a safe place for you. So if you want to come in and not say a word, that is totally fine. You want to just listen? You know, I always worried that my questions were like the wrong questions and I was going to be the only person like everybody else already knows. Now I love those questions and if nobody else is asking it, I'm like, well, I'm just going to put it out there then because I bet I'm not alone on this. And so I'd encourage you, you know, please come and talk to me. Give Gail a call. You know, there's some information on the website. But if you'd like to find a way to connect to some other Christ followers, not only to have people to get into the word with, but to have people that you can pray with, please uh, let us know. It's one of the greatest blessings, I think, that you'll find in your life. And it was critical for Hezekiah at this moment. But believe it or not, this might shock you, the enemy didn't give up. The enemy keeps coming. In fact, in the next scene, the Rab Shakah is going to find the king of Assyria, where else, on the battlefield, report to him that Hezekiah won't give in, and so the king is going to send a letter of exactly how he's going to destroy Jerusalem. So let's hear what happens. Then the Rab returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozen and Haran and Rezif, and the people of Eden who are in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the kings of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of the Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. One of the things that God told his people when Solomon first built the temple was that this was a place to meet with him, that he was not contained by the building, 
but that it would give them sort of a symbol, a reminder of God's presence with them, that they could talk to him anytime. And in fact, much of Hezekiah's prayer reflects the prayer that Solomon prayed when he dedicated the temple. That when we come to this place and we repent of our sins and we call on your name, would you hear us? Hezekiah asks God to hear this prayer. And in that moment, it says that he takes the very letter that he was sent by the king of Assyria, goes into the house of of the Lord and spreads it out before him. As if God doesn't already know what it says. But I love how personal this is. You know, we hit on this just a little bit last week that it's like he's going to dad's house and saying, I need help from my heavenly father. Look at this, God. Look at what he said. Look at what's going to happen. God, please, please hear me as I'm praying to you. I wonder in our lives, what is it that you want to spread out before the Lord? What is it that maybe you've been churning on in your own heart, but you haven't taken that moment to say, God, did you know about this? Because he does. And one of the enemy's boasts, you heard it from the Rob and you heard it again in the king's letter. What's the big deal with your God? We beat all the other gods. What's the big deal? The enemy will try to convince you that God cannot help. The enemy will try to convince you that God does not care. Hezekiah knows that he does. You know you can spread anything out in front of God and he will listen. And so the encouragement from Hezekiah's moment of prayer is that I can't just ask Eliakim or Isaiah, I need to seek the Lord and his glory personally. And maybe it doesn't get any more obvious than that. But it can be so easy to catch myself thinking about all the things that I wish were different. Mentioning them to other people. Complaining about them to other people. And never quite getting around to just, hey God, what about this? And I love, if you look at the words of this prayer, look at some of the things that Hezekiah says here. He points out how many times you are the one. You are God, you alone. You are the Lord God, you alone. So not only is he making his request, but he's constantly reminding himself and giving glory to God for being the only one true God. So not only do we bring our requests, we absolutely do. We saw it in Hebrews, we saw it in Philippians. God wants us to bring our requests to him. But when we pray, are we also seeking his glory? personally, like Hezekiah did. And he finds that when he asks God to listen, God listens. In fact, in many ways, this is very similar to the Lord's Prayer that begins with adoration. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Right? We give him glory. And then we make our requests. We thank him. And then it ends with his glory again. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. That's built into the way we pray is not just Kind of like, as I'm driving to work, I forgot, I got a little time here, like, hey, Lord, you know, help me not be a jerk today, and thank you so much. <laughs> like, I think that's great, actually, because if God is with you all the time, it makes sense. Just talk to him anytime you need to. 
any time. But there's also something to be said for a moment like Hezekiah's, that I set aside time, that I find space where I can be uninterrupted, quiet, and have a moment with God, not only to speak, but to listen. That is what Hezekiah found so profound. And for all the challenges of the enemy, for all the prayers of Hezekiah and his friends, God is going to have the final word. And for us, as we pray, that's what we want. We don't always know how he's going to answer. We don't always know what it's going to look like. But we always know we can let God have the final word. Because although the enemy's challenge continues, in this final scene, Isaiah is going to speak on behalf of God himself. And I want to show you a little bit of what to expect here because it's sort of like a short-term prophecy. But here's what you're about to hear. Essentially, God accuses Assyria of blasphemy. Then he explains how the fact they beat up all the other nations is only because he allowed them to. And that now he's bringing judgment on Assyria. Then he will repeat his promises to Jerusalem, telling them that even if they're under siege, they'll have food for the first year, the second year, the third year, they'll be okay. Because ultimately, God will defend them. So let's hear Isaiah speak God's final word. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Why, against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? from ancient times that I formed it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and the grain blighted before it is grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from the same, and in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards, and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, 
he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adremelech and Shereser, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. You remember the first song that we sang today? That was a long time ago, wasn't it? The battle belongs to the Lord. Think back over the weeks of 2 Kings. How many times have we seen it where the battle doesn't even start? That God's people never lift a finger because God wins the battle for them. One of the encouragements that I want you to have as a Christ follower is that you can pray like Hezekiah every single day. You can hit your knees before God and he is listening. But there's also a big picture here because the enemy keeps challenging us. The enemy will keep coming. The enemy is not giving up even though he's already lost. And when Christ returns, Look at this picture. The angel of the Lord showed up and killed 185,000. One angel. When Jesus, the victorious king, shows up, there will be no doubt about the battle. There will be no hesitation to the victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. We have the exact same confidence that Hezekiah had. Even though he didn't know how God might answer this prayer. And so the encouragement for us today is to make a habit of prayer. You see, God said, because you have prayed, I have heard. It means something to him that we talk to him. And I love that last line, that I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Essentially what he's saying there is, I will do this for my glory, but I will also do this because I keep my promises. So although we don't always know how God is going to answer, we do know he will always glorify himself and he will always keep his promises. A few years ago I was at a concert with my grandfather and it was one of these, uh, it was a small enough concert, the guy was doing like, name that tune, and you could win his tape. Not that tape, but another tape. <laughs> and I, I didn't know like any of the songs, but then there was one he played where my grandpa leaned down and whispered in my ear, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Apparently that's the song he was playing, and I won a tape. I forget what it was, I forget where it is. <laughs> but I remembered that moment with my grandpa, because in his 70s, my grandpa knew something that some of us lose sometimes from when we're a kid. Some of us maybe have never heard before. That to my grandpa, God wasn't just stuck in a book. He wasn't distant. He wasn't just theological. Jesus is a friend. 
And so I'm actually going to invite the band out because we're going to close with that song today. And some of the words say, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything, everything to God in prayer. So let me pray for you now and then we'll hear that song together. God, thank you that we have a direct connection to you through your Holy Spirit because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can unroll any scroll that says anything about the details of our life that we are worried about or concerned about. Lord, that we can be confident that however you answer it, we know you are bringing yourself glory, that you are doing good and that you are keeping your promises. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us friends. Amen.